Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, We continue our series on the 12, right? The 12 disciples of Christ. We are in part two. We are talking about the calling of an outcast. Now, Jesus made a habit uh, of befriending and ministering to outcasts. Time and time again, the least of these were put first by Christ. And the calling of his disciples shows the heart of Christ. He is unconcerned with your history while remaining completely focused on your heart. And while uh, with the goal, I should say, of bringing healing and restoration to your life. And so it's kind of the whole mantra I think that we as believers should have as well. And today specifically, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 again. We're going to be near the end of that chapter. And we are going to be looking at the calling of Matthew, referred to here as Levi. Okay, referred to in the book of Luke as Levi, and Levi himself was a tax collector. Looking at verses 27 and 28, it says, After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. Now, to understand really what's taking place in verse 27 and 28, we have to view these events in light of the historical context of the day. And to truly understand what's taking place here, we cannot view this, this chunk of verses without viewing the context that happens earlier in the chapter itself. So let's start with the historical context. Now, Matthew is referred to in Luke as Levi. Matthew means God's gift. And it was probably the name that he was given to, given to separate him from his old life as Levi the tax collector. And the reason that this took place is because as a tax collector, he would have been seen as a, 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 a just grievous sinner against his own people, the Jews. He would have been seen really as a traitor to his own people. And the reason that he would have been seen as a traitor to his own people is because the Jews of the day were under Roman rule and they were paying Roman taxes, but the tax collectors themselves were Jewish people. And so Matthew, in a sense, was getting rich by taking advantage of his own people. It's exactly what he was doing, in fact. And most likely, he was taking advantage of his own people by taking just a little bit more than he was required to take and lining his own pockets with that money. So it's one of those, uh, if you can't beat them, join them moments, where Matthew's like, well, we're under Roman rule anyways, and... There's not a lot I can do about it, so maybe I'll just use it to my advantage and I'll still find a way to make money and get rich. So he was most definitely, like without a doubt, despised. And if you've ever dealt with the IRS, you can relate to that, right? You're like, hey, uh, no taxation without representation, Boston Tea Party on the way, like we are ready to just mess some things up. Uh, Every year I do my taxes on my own, which I never know if that's the right choice or not. Uh, but, you know, I do them because I can read and H&R Block walks you through it. And uh, every year, my, the money I'm going to get back starts out as like a pretty decent number where you're excited. And then by the time you're done, it's a much less decent number. And then you're just angry. And you're like, I can repair my own roads. I don't know why I need them. I'll just put some cement down. Why do I have to pay these taxes, right? So, I mean, we all kind of can understand where people were coming from. Uh, Matthew was just really not well-liked. So Matthew's calling, in in light of the fisherman's calling, shows Jesus' reach, okay? From the lowest of blue-collar workers to white-collar criminals, 
Jesus is truly for everyone. And that's the historical significance. So let's look at the biblical context. In chapter 5, prior to the calling of Levi, we see multiple, multiple miracles take place. The first, which takes place in verses 12 through 16, and in these verses, he heals a leper. And in doing so, he proves that he has the authority to make somebody ceremonially clean. Now, if you know anything about your history, your Bible history, especially in Jewish culture, if you were somebody who suffered from leprosy, you were definitely an outcast in society. You were literally cast out from society. The only way that you had an opportunity to make money was to beg for it, and you were seen as ceremonially unclean. And so for anybody to even have contact with you, to interact with you, they were making themselves ceremonially unclean as well, which made them kind of unfit for the service of God. And so people avoided people with leprosy like the plague, right? They avoided it like the plague because it literally was like the plague. So they didn't want, they didn't want to catch it. They didn't want to be seen interacting with these people. They really didn't want to have anything to do with it, lest they too be considered ceremoniously unclean and be kicked out from their society. But Jesus approaches this man and he heals him. And in healing him, he shows that he has the power to literally change a leper's spots, not a leopard spots, a leper's spots, right? He can literally change the entire outcome of their future and their life. And then in verses 17 through 26, Jesus shows that he has the authority to forgive sins by doing so for the paralytic man lowered through the tiles of a roof. If you remember that story, there's a man, he suffers from paralysis. He cannot make a living. He cannot live. He, he literally fully relies on everybody else for his survival. But he's got a set of friends, a set of faithful friends who are determined to get him to this Jesus that they have heard about. And there's this large crowd that they take him to, and, and the house that Jesus is inside teaching is full, and outside is full, and there's like, there, we don't, we got to get him before Jesus. We don't know what to do. So they literally go up onto the roof of this home, and they dig a hole in it, and they lower him through this hole. They destroyed somebody's home. I would not suggest doing that in your future, but they, they literally destroy this person's home, their roof. They lower this man before him because they know, they just know if they can get him in the presence of Jesus, that he will be healed. And so Jesus, through healing this man, delivers the message, my son, go, your sins are forgiven. Now, the whole purpose of that of Jesus doing that wasn't necessarily to say that this man had had these conditions and this issue because he was a sinner, but because that was what Jewish culture believed. Seeing this man, they believed that his condition was a punishment for his sins. And so Jesus in his teaching wanted to show the people that he, as the son of God, as the Messiah, could also forgive the sins of man. And as you might imagine, that kind of... Uh, got people a little upset. But through these two miracles, before the calling of Matthew, he shows two things. He can make somebody ceremonially clean, so he can make somebody right again with society, and then he can heal, he can save somebody from their sins. And it's after those two instances that he actually calls Matthew, the tax collector, who would have basically been seen as ceremoniously unclean, right? He would not have been fit for Jewish society. He would have been an outcast. And also, he himself was a sinner because he was taking advantage of people. 
And yes, maybe it was worse because he was taking advantage of his own people, but he was a sinner. So unclean and a sinner, Jesus calls this man to to be one of his 12 disciples, to be one of the 12 that he would send out in his place to reach the world for God. And we read this and we think, wow, how awesome is God? But if we were in this situation, there's there's a, a really good chance that I think we would handle it more like the Pharisees did. But, but let's talk a little bit. So with the two things in mind of, of Jesus being able to make somebody ceremonially clean and Jesus being able to forgive sins, Jesus' calling of Matthew further is a, a further show of his power because it expands on Jesus' power and authority to make someone new. And it shows Jesus' power and authority to forgive someone regardless of of the reputation that they have, regardless of the, the things on their record, so to speak, that would make the rest of society say, get away from me. It shows Jesus, uh, his, his power to, to literally bring about a new creation from a self-destructive creation. And so Matthew was certainly an unlikely candidate to be a disciple, and yet still he was called. And I can stand here before you today and say the same thing to you. I was definitely an unlikely candidate to be called. And yet here I am. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad for you, but regardless, this is me, right? But I have the same story. Now, here's what we kind of learned from this. Jesus calls us to him. It's on us to accept the call. It's on us to accept the call. Why do I say that? Because Jesus is calling to each and every one of you. Each and every single person. Jesus is still convicting of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit. Each and every single one of us. Now, it's on us to accept that call and say, yeah, that's right. I have been a sinner. I do need grace. I do need forgiveness. I do need to change from my ways. It's on us to make that that, that final kind of, yes, Lord, I will follow you type of decision, right? But Jesus is calling us. And so in verses 29 and 30, it says, And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisee and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, what do you, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Right? And, and that's why I say I think a lot of us would kind of handle this situation like the tax collectors. Because a lot of times we see the redemptive work of Christ and if we're being honest with ourselves, we question it and we scoff at it. Why them? Why them? They don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. Why should they be forgiven? Do you know what they've done in their life? Or even worse, when, when an act of sin has been perpetrated against us and it just feels so personal to see that person rejoicing in the forgiveness that they have received because we know the hurt that they have placed on us in our own life i want you guys to think about this from matthew's perspective excited about his new life excited about the direction that he is going to be heading matthew wants to celebrate And so he uses some of his funds to throw a large feast. And he throws this feast and he invites those that are in his circle, which 
should be really unsurprising to us is other tax collectors because no one else wanted to have anything to do with them, right? If you were a tax collector, your friends were probably other tax collectors because, again, why would anybody else want to have anything to do with you? And so he invites those in his circle. He invites the other tax collectors, and, and he, he brings them to this meal. He wouldn't have had a ton of friends outside of that realm. No doubt, in my mind, was that his goal was to share this new life and this new opportunity that he had with people who were living the same life that he had previously been living. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because if there was one thing that was needed in this day and age, it was for a tax collector to find Jesus. It was for a tax collector to accept God and to live a life that was righteous and upstanding and that didn't take advantage of anyone. And among the guests is this new teacher of his, Jesus, who has called him to this new life and given him this new opportunity to live a life that isn't self-centered, that isn't about how much money he can make, that isn't about abusing others, but is literally about changing people's life for the good, about teaching them about the love of God and the grace that can be received. And those who have already experienced, or should have, I should say, experienced this grace, those that should know about the love of God, those that should be rejoicing because a lost sheep has come back to the flock. What is their response? Why is he with them? Why is he with them? See, these group of Pharisees who deem themselves the old guard are convinced that Jesus is doing things the wrong way. This safety net of religion deem those in attendance unworthy of godly company and of God himself. How often in our life, if we're being honest with ourselves, do we look at people and think, what's God doing with them? Why is he with them? Why has he forgiven them? They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And we forget somehow, and I don't know how, but we forget somehow that once we were in their very shoes, that we had been called to the grace and the forgiveness that has been made available to us through Jesus. And that we are nothing but sinners saved by grace. And we forget that. And we wear our little Christian badge around and we act like we've been perfect our whole lives and we know all the things and we have all the answers. And instead of doing what Jesus has called us to do, which is to befriend those who the rest of the world says are damaged goods, we just walk in agreeance. You're right, world. They are damaged goods. And so we avoid the least of these. Angered by the presence of Jesus at the feast, these Pharisees grumble to his disciples, questioning again, why would he eat with such people? We show more 
about our connection to Christ and the way we accept a new brother or sister into the family of God than by years of religious deeds. I'm going to say that again. We show more about our connection to Christ and the way that we accept a new brother or sister into the family of God than by years of religious deeds. If you want to see a person's heart, don't look at how often they pray. Don't look at how often they attend church. Don't look at how often they read their Bible or how much scripture they can quote to you. Look to see if they actually live it out. Look to see if they're welcoming to all. Look to see if their arms are open wide, ready to embrace that lost sheep. Because that will tell you their heart. That will tell you their connection to Jesus. That will prove their faith. I know atheists and agnostics who can quote way more scripture than I can. I know atheists and agnostics who can read you the Bible backwards and forwards and tell you what it means. And It's not about what we know. It's about how we use that knowledge. It's about how we use that knowledge. We must celebrate the changes in the lives of others as if the change was our very own. Because Jesus came for the sinner. See, Jesus heard their grumblings. And I don't know how close they were to the table. I don't know if he has some godly supersonic hearing where they were like whispering outside. And he's like, oh, I've got an answer for you. I don't know, but he heard it. And so he replied. In 31 and 32, it says, Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus' answer of, why am I with these people? Well, it's because they need me. Jesus' answer to these people to these Pharisees, to these religious zealots as to why he was with these people was because he loved them. Because he knew that he had something to offer them that could make their lives better and he wanted to bring healing to their life. In the final two verses of chapter 5, which are the two verses we just read, Jesus sets forth the standard for all believers. He came to call sinners to repentance, and we should do the same. God showed his love for us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we can't forget that. We can't forget that. Because everyone in this room who calls themselves a Christian, everyone in this room who has a strong relationship with Christ was just a sick person who's experienced healing. And man, I'm glad that I can count myself amongst that group. But why would I want to keep that healing to myself? Our concern is not who a person has been. 
It's not the sins that they have committed. And it's certainly not how they differ from us. We must only be concerned that people find the forgiveness which may be offered to them, or will be offered to them, I should say, once repentance is made. That's our job. That's our goal. It's for the world to know that imperfection is part of the process. But so is grace, so is healing, and so is forgiveness. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day and I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to dive into your word. And God, I pray that all of us take encouragement from today's message. For those of us who may not consider ourselves believers or are sure that we are not, God, I hope that maybe, just maybe, we'll start to understand that there is a God out there that loves us, that is seeking to improve our lives. And that his people screw up quite often because we are imperfect and we are not God. But even in saying that, Lord, I know the standard that is set before us because we are called to a higher standard. We are called to love the world like Jesus loved the world. And Jesus dined with sinners. Jesus dined with outcasts. Jesus sought out those that the rest of the world was trying to ignore. When the rest of the world pretended that these people did not exist, Jesus made sure that they were seen. He made sure that they were loved. And he called them to repentance by delivering biblical truths in a way that was not judgmental, simply factual. Every single person in this room is a sinner. Some of us have been saved by grace and some of us have not yet experienced that grace. But the same grace is available to each and every one of us. Regardless of our past, regardless of our faults and our failures. God, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you because I know of the amazing grace that changes a sinner's soul. God, you have delivered that gift and I am unworthy of that gift but oh so thankful that I have received it. Lord, help us to be a people, a church, who always stands with arms open wide. Our preaching may not be the best, our music may not be the best, our programs may not be the best, our church may not be the prettiest, but God, we will be a church that welcomes the sinner home. We will be a church that points others to forgiveness. We will be a church that is gracious. We will be a church that reflects Christ. 
God, we ask for you to solidify these things in us. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Stand with us now. We are going to worship. This is an excellent time for you to pray, for you to think on your life and what Christ has already done for you and what Christ may do for you, what Christ can do for you. If you need to talk about faith, about placing your faith in Jesus, about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, now's the time to do that. If there's something going on in your life and you need prayer, come pray with me or come use our stage as an altar and go directly to God and pray. Otherwise, just worship. And if you can't worship today, spend some time in thought. Ask God to show you.